0: Without further ado, here is your earnings call.
1: Greetings. Welcome to the Alta Beauty 4th Quarter 2018 Earnings Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question-and-answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. Please note, this conference is being recorded. I will now turn the conference over to your host, Laurel Lefebvre. Vice President, Investor Relations. Ms. Ms. Lefebvre, you may begin.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Ulta Beauty's fourth quarter 2018 conference call. Hosting our call are Mary Dillon, Chief Executive Officer, and Scott Sedersten, Chief Financial Officer. Also joining us is Dave Kimball, Chief Merchandising and Marketing Officer. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you of the company's safe harbor language. The statements contained in this conference call, which are not historical facts, may be deemed to constitute forward-looking statements, within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Actual future results may differ materially from those projected in such statements due to a number of risks and uncertainties, all of which are described in the company's filings with the SEC. We make reference during this call to non-GAAP sales and earnings growth adjusted for the impact of the 53rd week and one-time tax-related items in Q4 of 2017. During the Q&A session, we remind you to ask one question only to allow us to have time to respond to as many of you as possible during the hour scheduled for this call. I'll now turn the call over to Mary. Thank you, Laurel, and good afternoon, everyone. The Alta Beauty team delivered excellent results in the fourth quarter. This performance reflects an acceleration in the retail comp, primarily driven by traffic, continued strength in mass cosmetics, boutique brands, skin care and fragrance, and stable performance in prestige cosmetics. We're gaining significant share across all major categories, particularly with digitally native brands that our guests are highly engaged with, and where Ulto Beauty is often the only point of distribution in brick and mortar. Solid execution of our holiday plans by our merchandising, store operations, e-commerce, marketing, supply chain, and systems teams drove a successful holiday period across multiple metrics: sales, in stocks, and guest experience. To recap our fourth quarter financial performance, total sales increased 9.7% or 16.2% adjusting for last year's 53rd week. We achieved our best comp sales performance of the year with a 9.4% comp on top of an 8.8% comp in the fourth quarter of 2017. This strong performance was driven primarily by transaction growth with meaningful improvement in the retail traffic trend. Diluted gap earnings per share of $3.61 grew 6.2%, compared to $3.40 achieved in last year's 14-week fourth quarter, or 31.3%, excluding the benefit from tax reform-related items in the fourth quarter of 2017. We delivered these results by executing on our strategic imperatives, and I'll provide an update on each, starting with our strategies to increase loyalty and evolve our brand. Our Ultimate Rewards Loyalty Program remains one of our most valuable assets, Membership at the end of the year reached 31.8 million active members, representing active member growth of 14.4% compared to 2017. Our store team's sustained focus on conversion benefited from robust store traffic during the quarter. As we anniversary the launch of our Elite Diamond tier, we are pleased to see the number of guests that attained Diamond level was ahead of plan with very high guest engagement. The latest loyalty program benefit was launched at the beginning of the new fiscal year with the new perk offering our guests the ability to use points on all skin brow makeup and hair services and guests are loving it we've been talking about personalization as the next frontier in loyalty we're currently focusing our efforts around personalization by incorporating relevant product recommendations and replenishment reminders across digital channels with much more in the works in concert with our acquisitions of qm scientific and Glam Street last fall. I'll cover more on this topic in a moment when I discuss digital innovation. Our credit card program exceeded expectations in 2018 with penetration of credit card sales reaching double digits. Success here was driven by outstanding store associate engagement, effective acquisition campaigns such as gifts with applications, seamless integration into the loyalty calendar, and strong support from internal and external partners. Gift card sales grew 24% in the fourth quarter, and this healthy growth helped fuel strong post-holiday sales. Increases in our third-party distribution network drove much of this growth, with the total third-party door count now surpassing 50,000 distribution points. Benefiting from our holiday marketing campaigns, Q4 brand awareness maintained all-time high levels reached throughout 2018 at 55% for unaided and 90% for aided awareness. Brand awareness showed momentum across all generations with particular strength among Gen X and Gen Z shoppers as well as progress with our Latinas and African American beauty enthusiasts. We also continue to drive a stronger emotional connection to our brand as a result of our marketing and public relations efforts to advance our new brand purpose, the possibilities are beautiful. Now next I'd like to share an update on our strategy to delight our guests with our merchandise assortment, focus on innovation, differentiation, exclusivity, and speed to market. Newness continued to drive traffic and share gains across all categories. Products that weren't in the assortment a year ago drove about four points of our total company comp. Top-performing categories were Mass Cosmetics, Prestige Boutique Brands, Fragrance, and Prestige skincare. Smaller departments like Accessories and Sun Care also delivered double-digit comps. The makeup category overall, through the lens of mass and prestige cosmetics combined, counts exactly in line with the house. Our strategy to be the partner of choice for digitally-native brands like Morphe and Kylie Cosmetics are paying off. Both brands drove very strong traffic in stores, suggesting our guests are motivated to make more trips to the store to try these products in person. Despite a tough comparison to double-digit counts in the fourth quarter of last year, mass cosmetics accelerated, to be our best-performing category in the quarter, with Morphe, Revolution Beauty, and Elf leading the way. Building on the success of changes to the assortment we made a year ago, we just reset the mass cosmetics area again with more space dedicated to the fastest-growing brands. Morphe expanded to a larger footprint in most stores and is having great success with collaborations with mega-influencers Jaclyn Hill and James Charles. Morphe recently launched its Fluidity Foundation in 600 Doors featuring 60 shades. And we also just launched a Morphe Makeup Brush collaboration with Jeffree Star, another high-profile social media influencer with 11.5 million Instagram followers. We also expanded ColourPop to 250 more stores, now available in nearly 800 stores. Other brands that earned expansion to either more doors or more shelf space include Elf, L.A. Girl, Milani, Wet n' Wild, and BH Cosmetics. Comps remain very healthy across Benefit, Clinique, Lancôme, and MAC. We rolled out 692 prestige boutiques in total for 2018, and plan to expand the presence of these four brands to many additional doors in 2019, in various expressions in our stores, including presence in line, on wall presentations, on end caps, and in impulse pictures. In the rest of the Prestige Cosmetics portfolio, top performers included Estee Lauder, Kylie Cosmetics, NARS, and Tarte. We have a lot of exciting newness across the portfolio that's encouraging for this category's performance in 2019. Key launches include Tarte Face Tape Foundation, inspired by the iconic best-selling Shape Tape Concealer, Sugar Rush, an exclusive sub-brand from Tarte specifically created to target the Gen Z beauty enthusiast, a new brow program and naked palette from Urban Decay, and the launch of new brands Smith and Cult and Grande Lash. We're also highlighting trends more visibly in our store with a focus on clean beauty, with a vegan beauty end cap, and the an expansion of our hottest in beauty section in store. This was launched last fall as an end cap showcasing new hot digital brands like Lime Prime, Ofra, and Sugar Pill, and is moving in line this quarter. To update you on Kylie Cosmetics, which launched in mid-November, we experienced very strong sell-through on the 28 lip products we offered, and were essentially out of stock for a few weeks at the end of the quarter. This popular brand clearly drove store traffic and new customer acquisition, with an uptick in younger, more diverse guests. Product began flowing back into the stores in late January, and we're currently in a much better in-stock position. This week, several new items are setting to add to the original assortment including eyeshadow palettes and some additional lip products. Fragrance had a banner year capped with a strong fourth quarter performance that drove double-digit comps. These results were underpinned by our Holiday Marketing and Gift with Purchase programs, as well as the success of our Fragrance Crush program, which highlights a fragrance each month. KKW Fragrance, launched exclusively in brick-and-mortar at Ulta before Holiday, was a standout in the portfolio. YSL, Versace, and Ulta Beauty exclusive Ariana Grande fragrances were also among the leading brands driving our growth in fragrance. The Prestige Skin category delivered solid growth, led by strength from Mario Badescu, First Aid Beauty, and Proactive. We're broadening our brand portfolio with the addition of new brands like Urban Skin RX, a line of clinical skincare products designed for women of color, Fountain of Truth, a clean, cruelty-free line developed by Juliana Rancic, my Clarins, an exclusive line of vegan skincare products from Clarins, and Kanuka, a skincare line infused with CBD and honey. We've also added a curated assortment of Kiehl's products in all doors in our Impulse fixture, and all new stores we open this year will offer the full Keels product line. The overall hair care category also delivered solid growth with broad-based strength across core professional hair care brands and a successful promotion featuring jumbo sizes of pro hair products. Consumer interest in sugar bear hair vitamins was a highlight in the mass hair category. In summary, the team has done a fantastic job evolving our offerings across the entire box and making sure we have the right brands and products to delight our guests who crave constant newness. Now let me update you on our services business. Salon comp sales rose 6.2%, driven by average ticket increases. Total salon revenue increased 4.7% compared to last year's fourth quarter with an extra week of sales. The salon teams benefited from the healthy traffic in our stores and drove strength across all the major service categories, including color, cut and style, blowouts, hair treatments, and makeup. We're seeing encouraging results from the regions that have rolled out our services optimization platform and plan to implement this program for the entire chain in the second quarter. The hallmarks of the services optimization program are compensation designed to attract and retain top talent, industry-leading internal training and education, simplified menus, transparent pricing, and an enhanced field team focused on business and technical training in each district. We continue to test our new salon appointment booking tool in partnership with technology startup Spruce, which has developed an enhanced tool for booking appointments for all services, including hair, Browse with the Benefit Brow Bars, and Makeup with MAC Artists. We expect to roll out the booking tool with further enhancements in 2019. Our Ulta Beauty Pro team won the prestigious NAHA or North American Hair Award for the Salon Team of the Year for the first time this year. Both the Ulta Beauty Pro team and the Ulta Beauty design team were nominated in this category. This type of recognition highlights Ulta Beauty as an industry leader and authority in salon hair care, raising our profile and helping us attract high-quality stylists. Now I'll turn to store growth. We opened 11 net new stores in the fourth quarter compared to 16 last year and ended the year with 1,174 stores. New store productivity remains very strong. We plan to open approximately 80 stores this year, the majority in suburban strip centers and power centers. The 2019 plan anticipates about three-quarters of the new store portfolio in existing shopping centers and a quarter in new centers, with almost all stores filling in the existing markets compared to just a couple stores in new markets. Our real estate strategy is evolving to focus on portfolio management with heightened attention on lease renegotiations, evaluating repositioning, relocating or closing stores at the end of leases, and continuing to remodel and upgrade storefronts and pylon signs to ensure consistent branding and shopping experiences across the portfolio. Moving to our e-commerce business, Altus.com grew comp sales 25.1% on top of 50.4% in the fourth quarter of 2017 and contributed 240 basis points to our total company comp, driven by transaction growth. Total site traffic rose 33%, with mobile site traffic growth up 31%, And mobile app traffic up 49 percent we're driving healthy growth of our omnichannel members with loyalty members shopping both retail stores and alta.com increasing to 12.1 percent of guests for 2018 compared to 10.4 percent in 2017. our e-commerce growth rate was a bit softer than our guidance of mid-30s which we attribute primarily to a reverse channel shift in light of our guests avid interest in coming to the store to see and try makeup from digitally native brands like Morphe and Kylie Cosmetics. All of the moderation in our e-commerce growth rate came from the cosmetics category across across both prestige and mass. We made the strategic decision to emphasize our in-store offerings with these newer brands with a broader assortment and more inventory allocated for highly anticipated launches like the James Charles palette. As a result, the strength of these digitally native brands was even more concentrated in-store than we planned. Another factor in the top-line moderation moderation for Ulta.com relates to e-commerce's higher sensitivity to promotional offers. We felt a bigger impact to our online sales as a result of being less promotional year over year. We continue to see strong guest adoption of our Buy Online, Pick Up and Store initiative. We're expanding BOPIS from the 47 stores that launched in late 2018 and plan to deploy to the full chain this summer. Turning to digital innovation highlights, Following the acquisitions of Glam Street and QM Scientific last fall, we're pleased to report that both teams are integrating very well into the Ulta Beauty team. We've migrated our personalization platform to Google Cloud and are bringing to life product recommendations and adding more data such as reviews and clickstream data to amplify our understanding of our guest behaviors. We're also working on conversational commerce and AI-driven communication to automate common guest service inquiries on topics such as birthday gifts and loyalty points. Glam Lab, our virtual try on app, recently launched live video on iOS, which will soon be available on Android devices as well. Previously, the app offered only static images. With advances in virtual try on capabilities, we're mapping out linkages between AI and try on apps that will have applications in areas such as skin diagnostics or finding the perfect foundation. As a reminder, we won't be breaking out detailed quarterly e-commerce metrics starting in 2019, but we'll continue to provide color on e-commerce trends and its contribution to our growth. Lastly, I'll provide an update on our supply chain strategy. Our supply chain team and operations performed very smoothly during the busy holiday season and delivered excellent in-stock levels while controlling overall inventory levels. Inventory per door grew 1.3%, well below the comp growth rate as we leverage core systems, such as SWIFT, to improve inventory productivity. Our Fresno DC is ramping up more quickly than our previous DCs, now serving 235 stores and 21% of e-commerce orders. We're winding down our Phoenix Distribution Center, which will officially close later this month. The teams there have done an excellent job transferring inventory into our remaining network and wrapping up the facility closure with minimal disruption ahead of the lease expiration at the end of the month as well as assisting in smooth transitions of our associates into the local job market. We're excited to announce that we're in the process of converting our Romeoville, Illinois distribution center into Ulta Beauty's first Fast Fulfillment Center, planned to open this summer. A second FFC is in the works and expected to open in the summer of 2020 in Jacksonville, Florida. Fast Fulfillment Centers serve only e-commerce orders and will be able to fulfill up to 30,000 orders per day during peak times, Increasing our network capacity and progressing toward our goal of two day e commerce shipping by 2021. Another initiative to speed delivery to our e commerce guests is our Ship from Store project. We plan to launch a test of Ship from Store in five locations around the country in the second half of the year. So, with that, I'll turn over to Scott to discuss in more detail the drivers of our fourth quarter financials and outlook for 2019.
3: Thank you, Mary, and good afternoon, everyone. Starting with the income statement. Our 9.4% comp, along with strong new store productivity and e-com growth, drove revenue growth of 16.2% adjusted for the 53rd week of the fourth quarter of 2017. The revenue recognition standard adopted at the beginning of 2018 contributed about 15 million of revenue. As a reminder, this represents the combined impact of income from our credit card program, gift card breakage, and the timing of recognition of e-commerce sales, offset by the value of points earned in our loyalty program. We enjoyed the strongest traffic in several quarters, with transactions up 7.1% and ticket up 2.3% for the total company. The retail-only comp of 7% was driven by 4.9% transaction growth and 2.1% ticket growth. Ticket was driven two-thirds by average selling price and one-third by increases in units per transaction. On the gross profit line, margin improved 90 basis points year over year. The new revenue recognition accounting standard added about 60 basis points to the gross profit line, and the comparison to last year's special bonuses for hourly associates helped by about 20 basis points. The factors driving the modest underlying gross profit improvement were fewer promotions overall, a lower than expected mix of e-commerce sales, and strong leverage of rent and occupancy expenses on better-than-expected sales, offset by investments in our salon business and supply chain operations. Turning to sg we deleveraged by 90 basis points, including 90 basis points of impact from the Revenue Recognition Accounting Standard. Underlying SGNA expense was flat on a rate basis due to planned deleverage and corporate overhead related to investments and growth initiatives, offset by leverage in marketing and variable store expenses operating margin rose 10 basis points year over year to 13.3% of sales, including the negative impact of 30 basis points attributable to the revenue recognition accounting change. This was above the 20 basis points impact reported earlier in the year, as our guests adopted the ultimate rewards credit card at a higher than expected rate. This, in concert with stronger than expected Q4 sales, resulted in guests earning more loyalty points requiring us to defer more revenue. Moving on to the balance sheet and cash flow. Total inventory grew 10.9% and was up 1.3% on a per store basis, well below comparable sales, as we continue to realize efficiencies from improved systems and processes. Capital expenditures were 319 million for the year, driven by new store opening program, supply chain, systems and merchandise fixtures. CapEx came in a bit below expectations due to some early savings on store fixtures resulting from the Efficiency for Growth program, as well as the timing of some planned IT and supply chain spending that will now fall into 2019. We ended the year with $409.3 million in cash. We repurchased 2.464 million shares at a cost of $616.2 million. For an average share price of $250 for the full year through our 10B51 program. We stepped up our repurchases opportunistically in the fourth quarter to take advantage of our better-than-expected cash flow generation as well as market volatility late in the year. $46.1 million remain available under our $625 million authorization as of the end of the year. Today, we announced a new share repurchase authorization for 875 million, with plans to repurchase approximately 700 million in fiscal 2019. Turning now to guidance for 2019. Our outlook for this year is consistent with the long-term outlook we provided at our November Analyst Day. We plan to open approximately 80 new stores, all our traditional 10,000 square foot prototype. We plan to remodel 12 stores and relocate 8 stores, as well as execute 270 store refreshes or mini-remodels, generally entailing the addition of new brands and improving overall fixturing. We anticipate driving top-line growth in the low double digits, with total company comparable sales planned in the 6 to 7% range. We expect e-commerce to grow in the 20 to 30% range, contributing approximately 20 basis points to comparable sales. We expect to deliver earnings per share in the range of $12.65 to $12.85 with approximately 10 to 20 basis points of operating margin expansion. The underlying assumptions are to deliver gross profit improvement driven by merchandise margin expansion, rent and occupancy expense cost leverage, and the benefits of our credit card program. These benefits will be offset by deleveraging sg and due to store labor and investments in growth initiatives and innovation. Areas such as digital innovation, our salon services strategy, expanding our omnichannel capabilities, IT security and infrastructure, personalization efforts, our strategy to pursue emerging brands, and initiatives to enhance the guest experience will as a whole contribute to corporate overhead deleverage. In terms of the cadence of investments and benefits of these initiatives throughout the year, while we're no longer providing specific quarterly guidance, you can expect EPS growth this year to be slightly weighted to the back half, with more of the benefits of the Efficiency for Growth Cost Optimization Program occurring later in the year. You can expect low teens EPS growth and modest operating margin deleverage in the first half, and high teens EPS growth and modest operating margin leverage in the second half of the year. In terms of capital, we plan to spend between $380 and $400 million. This includes CapEx of approximately $190 million for new stores, remodels, and merchandise fixtures, $140 million for supply chain and IT, including new fast fulfillment centers, and about $60 million for store maintenance and others. Depreciation and amortization expense is expected to be approximately $315 million. We expect our tax rate to be 24%, which does not include any estimate for the impact of share-based compensation. The fully diluted share count for the year is expected to be approximately $58 million. Our plan assumes share repurchases in the $700 million range, contributing about four points of earnings per share growth. And with that, I'll turn it over to our conference call host for
1: Q&A. At this time, we will be conducting a question-answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first question comes from Erin Murphy. Piper Jeffrey. please t- proceed with your question.
4: Great, thanks. Good afternoon and congrats on a really solid end to the year. Um, I guess my question, Mary, is for you. If you could talk a little bit more about how
2: you anticipate some of the personalization efforts you have going on to really be that unlock to driving wallet share higher, so any examples you have there. And then, Scott, just a clarification on the guidance. You talk about the deleverage first half versus leverage in the second half. Does your same
3: store sales um, guidance of six to seven percent is that fairly similar throughout the year, or is there a difference in first half versus second half? Thank you. Sure,
2: um, I'll start with the loyalty program, and I'll ask David to add a couple of bits at the end if he wants, but to give you a full answer, the you know I'd say overall the spend per member growth is going to be driven by a lot of things, personalization being one of them for sure. You know, but we're pleased with how it's been progressing. So really, things that we do today like newness and the perks that we continue to innovate, the credit card program, the the tiers like the newest diamond tier all are contributing to engagement and driving that you know that spend per member. And as, as guests mature in the program, their spend just naturally grows over time as well. You know, personalization is, you know, I think we're very much in the early innings on it, very excited about it, and it's really about driving more customized experiences. I guess one simple example would be recommendations, so the smarter that we can get about a a guest's past purchase uh, patterns and infer her preferences or his preferences based on that, it gives us the ability to serve up recommendations that are even more relevant, for example. And if there's any other examples you want to
5: add? Yeah, the uh, other areas we'll focus on, certainly, uh, yeah, product recommendation, replenishment reminders. We're adding into that uh, uh, additional customized uh, co-purchase recommendations, site personalization. uh, So customizing your site experience based on your previous behavior. For example, if we... uh, uh, see that you're a first-time visitor, you'll get a different experience than uh, if you're a frequent visitor, uh, visitor. Your homepage might change. We'll do product finders in unique ways. Uh, really, the purchase, uh, the acquisition of uh, of both uh, QM Scientific and Glam Street uh, was to accelerate our personalization efforts, and we're really excited about the progress and results to date, and feel like we're going to take a big step towards that goal in 2019.
3: And as far as the comp cadence for the year, I would say, generally speaking, it's a pretty consistent six to seven throughout the whole year, although I would say maybe the fourth quarter you might take a little bit more conservative approach on as we'll be comping over you know, some great kickoffs here with Kylie and James Charles here this last fourth quarter. Great, thank you guys.
1: Our next question comes from Christopher Horvers, JP Morgan. Please proceed with your question
4: thanks thanks, good evening. So uh, I'll slide my two questions into one as well. So first on the you know the digi- the digitally native brands um, it really impressive in terms of how it, it drove that traffic uh, in retail comp acceleration. Can you so me diagnose uh, was that was that more morphe? I mean, it's in more stores. you know Kylie had a smaller assortment there's 18 SKUs or or something like that and and it sold out so sort of how would you assess that and would you expect the the Kylie piece to accelerate now that you know the the export assortments uh, starting to expand and presumably will expand further uh, over the year and my and my second question is um, for Scott also which is uh, you gave a lot of color on cadence curious on the First half versus back half. How much of that is gross margin versus SGA is gross margin? You know, as we continue to scale over salon investments, is that is that the sort of uh, pressure point in gross margin? And would you expect that down in the first half?
2: Possibly three questions in one. <laughs> I don't think, Chris. Um, you know, listen, we are you know we're excited about the momentum on the business, digitally native brands being a part of it, but but frankly, really not the only and most major part. I mean, we had. As I discussed in the script, really strong growth across a lot of most of our categories and share gains across almost every single category, and you know strong double di- digit growth across many places. So so really, I would say that you know think about those as definitely big launches. You know, Morphy we had already launched. James Charles Pallet was a nice, good addition because he has a strong following. And of course, Kylie was new in a pretty small assortment. So you can expect that you know, I already said we're expanding that assortment. that's happening right now. Um, You know, and I I like to think about it as a a plethora of ways that we're going to continue to be the source, I think, leader for growth in the category by participating across categories with the many brand partners that are, you know, both existing and new. So, um, you know, I think about it as I guess sort of uh, we're all really focused on what are our guests looking for at the end of the day. And if we can make sure to offer that to them, I think we're going to continue to be in a good place.
3: Yeah, so as far as color on the year goes, so we're transitioning into this new sphere, right, this new zone of guidance and annual guidance <laughs> and whatnot and updating on the quarters. But I know everyone has this question, Chris, so you got you got to the buzzer first. So <laughs> um, when we look at the year – so yeah. <laughs> That was my goal. That was my goal. The modest operating expansion for the full year, it's going to come on the gross margin line. It's what we expect, and it's going to come through – you know, better merchandise margin overall, I think I could point to the clearance event in that second, third quarter time period this last year. We wouldn't expect to have to, you know, do that again in 2019. That's not in our plans. You mentioned salon. Yes, that will be a headwind, but it's not the biggest driver in there. So that'll be some deleverage on the gross margin line. DC leverage in the first half of the year is heavier because of Fresno, right? We won't lap that till the middle of the year. And so supply chain will kind of moderate in the second half. And then we've got some good occupancy leverage in there throughout the year. But there's a slight shift quarter to quarter just because the new store program sequence is a little bit different uh, in 2019. sg then is a net deleverage for 2019. And it's primarily coming out of the investments we're making, right, to drive long-term healthy sales and earnings for the business. So the, the M&A things we did, right, turning to OPEX now. There's a lot of other innovation. Mary went through a long list of things that we're doing to drive the business and primarily those things fall in the SGNA. Corporate overhead is really the primary culprit there, if you so to speak, on the deleverage. leverage.
4: Understood. Have a great year.
3: Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Stephanie Wisink. Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Hi, this is Ashley, good one for Steph Lysink. Thanks for
2: taking our question. We wanted to know are you seeing a shift in purchasing from prestige to mass siege as you continue to add more siege brands.
5: Hi Ashley, um, we are just, frankly we're seeing strength across the whole uh, the whole uh, makeup category. Uh, you know certainly there's brands on. Uh, across all price points that uh, are doing very well, and there's others that are struggling. So I wouldn't say it's a strength. And one of the it's a it's a shift. I will say one of the strengths that we have at Ulta Beauty is what we call mass migration and bringing uh, guests in, uh, a, a segment of guests in through mass brands and introducing them into prestige brands. That is still continuing. That's quite healthy. It's a unique aspect of the Ulta Beauty experience since we're the only ones that carry. Uh, brands across all price points. That behavior is still uh, is, is still quite strong, and so brand, brands at all price points, from. Uh, entry-level price points, uh, such as Elf, all the way up through our most prestige brands, whether it's Lancome or Chanel, are performing quite well. Uh, we are seeing strength. This Mastige area uh, of uh, you know, brands with price points kind of in between is a, is a growth area, but it's not really at the expense of any, any specific part of the business. It's just uh, you know, uh, attractive right now as, uh, as some of those brands are stronger at this moment.
3: Okay, great, and congrats on my quarter.
1: Our next question comes from Simeon Siegel, Nomura Incident. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Hey, guys. Congrats on. a Nice finish to the year. Um, Scott,
5: just recognizing that you lapped that one-time bonus, just any help in terms of thinking through the s and dollar growth? I know you'd called out, or I think you mentioned uh, wage, so just any thoughts there? And then um, are you guys seeing – I don't know if you had mentioned it – as you think about the digital natives and as those grow, is there any difference in terms of the in-store versus e-com performance relative to the rest of your portfolio? Thanks.
3: Yeah, so we don't really characterize or describe SG&A in dollars growth year over year. I know others in the department store and other spaces do that. But, you know, just color on SG&A overall. Again, it's going to be a net deleverage uh, point for the full year. Um, heavier maybe the first part of the year as we still got some of the investments that were late starting in 2018, right? We had heavier deleverage and corporate overhead in the second half of 2018 as some of the investment and growth initiatives kind of we got out of the gate a little bit slower in 2018 than we had planned to do um, so that will continue into the first half of uh, 2019. Um, store labor will continue to make investments there to drive uh, growth strategies there but I think that gets neutralized a lot by some marketing leverage we expect to uh, to close on in 2019 so um yeah, so we're, we're in a good spot overall, we believe, well-managed and uh, doing the right things for the business for the long term.
2: And then to your other question, Simeon, um, you know, I would say it sort of, it depends. Overall, digitally native brands are performing well both online and we're bringing them into the store. So I think what we just saw in the last quarter, it's a little bit about how we, how we choose to play it, frankly. as we went into this quarter, you know, we emphasize those two, uh, Kylie and James Charles launches, more in-store frankly, and it really drove a lot of in-store traffic. They're also doing really, really well online. But we had a bigger assortment, you know, in-store. And so I I would say that, you know, we also have brands that we sell only online that do quite well. So for us, it's about – I think it actually is a good um, proof point about the basic thesis of our business, which is that the physical – you know, experience of trying on trying products in person really appeals to a lot of our guests. And then she also wants to be able to buy it online and be convenient as well. So it's an interesting time for us to say, how do we kind of meet the guest where she is, think about how what's best for our business? But I don't see any reason why we can't be successful in both channels.
1: Great. Thanks a lot. Best of luck
5: for the year, guys. Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Steve Forbes, Guggenheim Securities. Please proceed with your question.
6: Good evening. So I wanted to focus on the, the refresh program, right? Because I, I believe 270 is a slight step up versus the trend line over the past couple of years here. So maybe just touch on, on what the store level needs are. I know I know you mentioned right new, new merchandise uh, and fixtures and et cetera, but maybe just focus on what the store level needs are that are driving this ramp and, and what the typical, typical refresh will include as it relates to that merchandise um, focus
5: yeah, uh, the primary purpose of this uh, year's refresh program is really to uh, continue to expand some key brand partners that we have. As we go into these stores, uh, you know we'll in some cases address uh, opportunities to uh, enhance or improve or uh, repair uh, certain parts of the store, but but we see a big opportunity for us to continue to uh, expand with with key brands. And what's going to be a bit uh, different, Um, maybe this year versus years in the past when we think specifically around uh, some of our brands like Clinique and Lancôme is we'll be expanding them into a variety of different expressions uh, in some cases in a in a uh, boutique as you've as, as you've seen and, and come to know at Ulta beauty but in many cases in different expressions whether that's in in gondolas on walls on in caps uh, in other parts of the store uh, so that's that's the primary focus of, of that of this year's um, rollout and improvement with our stores.
3: And Steve, just you know from a quantitative standpoint, if, you, if we think about it in terms of the total fleet investment, so if you compare a new store, you know 100 plus last year, the 80 next year, the remodel boutique kinds of activities that we have and the merchandising fixtures in general that we're always refreshing our stores, right? in one fashion or another. I think it's actually a step down net capex year over year if you look at it that way. So uh, again, it's a key focus for us, keep that store fleet looking fresh all the time, keep it inviting and making sure we're delivering the best guest experience that we can.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Simeon Goodman, Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question.
7: Hi. Good afternoon. Um, my, my question is on traffic and ticket. Um, it looks like during the year, uh, ticket actually decelerated and traffic increased. You mentioned in the fourth quarter this reverse channel shift. Can you talk about it for the rest of the year, you know, in 18? And should we expect the reversal of that? And then just as a second part, what's embedded in the 6-7 to seven as far as AUR growth for 2019?
3: Yeah, so as far as the traffic trends go, I mean, we know we struggled a little bit. We had some headwinds early in the year, and we picked up momentum. We saw that. We're on it. We're, you know, the merchant team and all their support uh, partners are working hard to make sure we bring the best that we can, you know, that our guests expect from us, and that's going to generate excitement, whether it's in-store or online. So, again, going into every quarter, going into every year, our expectation is to drive a healthy balance between traffic transactions and ticket growth overall with no, I wouldn't say any one specific expectation for one, any one of those elements, right? So again, earlier in the year, some of the newness didn't deliver, right? Didn't drive as much excitement uh, in, any, in either of the channels as we'd hoped for. We found, we found more winners in the back half of the year, right? And that drives traffic, whether it's online or in store.
7: And, and the AUR part, because um, I think in the fourth quarter you mentioned that AUR was about two-thirds of the ticket growth, and I don't know if there's a a number you can share with us that you expect in 2019, sort of, I would think of it almost as a head start as part of that six to seven comp outlook.
3: Yeah, I think sometimes we try to over-engineer our financial models. You know, again, it's always a healthy balance, whether it's ticket versus traffic or it's units versus average selling price. Again, at the end of the day, these products get hot and things happen that you can't control, right? The, the guest is going to determine how they want to spend their money. Okay. Thanks. Good luck. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Our next question comes from Adrienne E. Wolf Research. Please proceed with your question.
4: Thank you. And let me add my congratulations. Well done. Um, Mary, my question's on the loyalty program. I was wondering if you can share with us the percent of platinum um, clients that are actually converting to diamond. And then are you seeing a replenishment of the platinum uh, membership? And then um, really quickly for Scott, inventory has been growing slower than sales for the past four consecutive quarters. I'm wondering if that's a sustainable spread go forward. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Adrian. You know, we don't really break that out specifically. I'll tell you we feel really good about the Diamond tier launch. It's ahead of I guess I would say it's ahead of what we expected so far, which is fantastic because these, you know, folks are our best guests in terms of being omnichannel mm-hmm. guests, services guests, high share of wallet, et cetera. And uh, you know, we're seeing overall throughout the loyalty set of folks, this as they mature, they spend more and so we're gonna have more yep. people moving to platinum into diamond. And you know, our, our job is to continue to entice them to spend more through everything that we do every day, and I think all that's, you know, working really well. So as I mentioned, you know, whether it's newness, new perks, you know, we just started with being able to use loyalty points on services, and that seems to be, you know, very appealing. Um, Credit card growth, and then the additional ability to use personalization tools, you know, I think we feel good about where we are.
3: And as far as inventory goes, I think we addressed some of that at Analyst Day here back in November. So, yeah, we expect, you know, that we're still in the early stages. I mean, I think it's evidence the the metrics you referred to. And now, again, I don't know that I'd be able to draw a line, right, uh, and continue in perpetuity, some of the performance we've seen here most recently. But we believe we've got the tools and the capabilities in place now to definitely do a lot more by way of optimizing our inventory over the long term and margin results, right? They're coming from being able better to control the flow, you know, more automated kind of markdowns, doing better with our transitions and our assortment decisions. So we still think there's a long way to go there.
4: Great. Thank you very much.
1: Our next question comes from Michael Goldsmith, UBS. Please proceed with your question.
3: Good afternoon, thanks a lot for taking my question. So you mentioned that newness drove about four points of the comp. Can you help quantify how much of an acceleration that was in the past period? Is this level sustainable and then on the channel shift to the retail stores this, this quarter does that
7: change the way you think about product and brand launches in the future thanks
2: yeah on the um I don't know if we would break out in the past, role. you can we have that. broken out in the past, yeah. but it was maybe a third or yeah. maybe a little bit higher than that, So not a dramatic increase, but it mm-hmm. definitely accelerated. Yeah, some of the you know James Charles and yeah. some of the Kylie products. And the goal is to always drive as much comp as we can. So mm-hmm. I mean, I can't we can't predict that would be a continued trend. I mean, that was a bit of a uh, you know, it worked great, uh, but I wouldn't say, you know, that we'd expect it to be ongoing at that level, but our merchant team is constantly out there, you know, there's all sorts of newness all the time, and that's what our guests really want, and I think we're doing a good job of delivering that. And as for the channel shift, you know, I guess in some ways we're kind of learning as we go. As I said, it was we we're being very direct about the fact that you know, the uh, e-commerce growth was somewhat different than we expected this quarter because sort of a high-class problem ahead. have. We have more people shopping in the stores, and I think it's it's interesting, again, proving the thesis that the in-store experience is extremely important sometimes as well. And so I think we'll just continue to be strategic and tactical about how we think about launches, and it's going to vary. There won't be any one formula, I think I'd say, but, you know, I think it's good that we have
1: options. Thanks a lot, and good luck in in the year. Our next question comes from Michael Benetti, Credit Suisse. Please proceed with your question.
6: Hey guys, I'll add my my congrats on a nice uh, nice quarter there. So you guys came out of the quarter with good you know good momentum in the comp, and it looks you know appropriately conservative to us. But the I guess the 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 outlook looks appropriately conservative. But the I guess the margin break in fourth quarter was a little different than we thought. SGA flow through was a little lower on a lot more revenue. Um, I, I guess I'm just trying to think forward a little bit related to leverage rates given that the guidance you just gave us sounds like it has some investments in the base right now um that are leading to a little bit more margin expansion later in the year but if you do you know if the momentum today means you're going to have better you know sales than what you have in the same store sales guidance this year how should we think about how you guys approach you know how much flows through to the bottom line this year versus you know dialing up the the investments even more
3: Yeah, I'd say, well, we've been through, we've been investing for a long time, right, Mary? I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for multiple years now, and it's a moving target, Michael. You know that. You know, retail is a very dynamic environment. So, you know, we talked, I think I referenced supply chain and maybe a little bit less deliverage in the back half of the year, but we're still making big investments through fast fulfillment centers and other tools and things we're putting in place to help our teams perform better day to day. So, you know, the investment never ends right? In air quotes, right. I guess I would say. So, um, and we're we're pragmatic. Whenever we're looking at the quarter and we see sales strength, there's an opportunity to pull back on promotional, you know, cadence and things like that. So, we're just, every quarter and every year presents its own unique set of elements that we try to navigate through and just deliver the best overall result.
6: If I, could I ask a quick follow-up, Scott? So, I, I think you guys, I think one of the most interesting parts of the quarter was the change in language on the merch margin. And You know, today it sounds like the plan is for that to be positive. I I think more recently the plan was to to manage towards a flat merch margin, and and frankly at times it sounded like that was going to be an aspirational goal. Would you mind telling us what's changed, what you've seen that's given you, you know, the confidence saying, hey, we can actually, you know, guide to and manage to a little bit better uh, merch margin than we've spoken to more recently?
3: Yeah, I'd say the primary driver is around efficiencies for growth or EFG. So, again, we haven't spoken to that directly today. Um, But that – that's an umbrella over the whole enterprise, right? And so there's a lot of benefits to that that are going to flow through both the gross margin line and the SG&A line. That it's going to help us offset cost pressures that you see all retailers talking about, whether it's innovation things or digital things or or uh, wage rate pressures or freight pressures. I mean, there's a whole list of things that we are navigating our way through here. So, you know, EFG. I think Adrian asked a question here earlier about inventory, so that's a key piece of what's going to help merchandise margin. It's not just the out the door selling margin, it's how we work with our vendors more efficiently and optimize a lot of the what I call the in core processes internally around the merchandise assortment and how we transition our stores and how much store labor gets incurred to execute some of those things and the partners we work with and all the economics that go along with that. So that's really it. That's, you know, Driving our assumptions around better merchandise margins here in the foreseeable future.
6: Thanks again, guys. Congrats.
1: Our next question comes from Mark Altschwager, Robert W. Baird and Company. Please proceed with your question. Great. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, you highlighted how Kylie essentially sold out later in the quarter and it took some time to replenish. And I'm wondering, is that sellout or scarcity going to become a bigger component of the model as you lean in to these uh, to the digitally native brand strategy? And, and if so, how should we think about the implications for merchandise margins longer term? And then separately, I'm, just, I'm wondering what percent of your assortment today you would say is unique to Ulta and you know, where you see that metric headed over the next one to two years. Thank you.
5: Yeah, Mark, um on uh Kylie, I, I guess I wouldn't say that there's a, you know, one size fits all solution to that. I think with Kylie, uh we we anticipated um Uh, you know, potentially having out of stocks late in the the quarter. It actually happened a little bit earlier as the reaction, consumer reaction, was a bit more positive than than we anticipated. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's not our ideal scenario, but it was one that we had planned on uh, for this specific launch. Uh, As we look forward with other brands uh, that are in our portfolio, that's not, you know, we're not experiencing out of stocks on a consistent basis and that's not something that we would uh, certainly want to uh, make a, a a practice or a habit but there there will be instances on brands as, as they're either building their capacity or uh, you know the timing makes sense that uh, we may experience that but i wouldn't think of that as now that's the new normal or a new way for us to approach it so uh, that in and of itself shouldn't have an impact uh, uh, going um, Uh, Going forward, as far as the percent uh, uh, exclusive, we've talked in the past in the six to seven percent range. We'll continue to try to uh, grow that uh, over time. I think as we bring in new brands like Kylie, and that becomes a bigger part, and uh, you know, a big focus for us as we look at. Uh, uh, New brands, whether they're uh, larger existing brands or new emerging brands, is to drive as much uh, exclusivity as we can. Our our guests respond favorably to that. So whether we're the absolute only place or it's in very limited distribution, that's a a focus for our uh, merchant team and one we're having a lot of success on. So we plan to continue to grow that number going forward.
4: Thanks again.
1: Our next question comes from Omar Saad. Evercore ISI. Please proceed with your question.
5: Thanks for taking my question. Um, I'll add my congratulations. Great end of the year. Um, stepping back at a high level, most of my detailed questions are answered uh, already. But stepping back at the high level here, you've got such kind of broad based strength in your business. You seem to be hitting on a lot of cylinders. You've got a lot of great things in the pipeline. You, s- you seem to be really managing that balance between online and offline you know, is it, as you gain more, I imagine this is giving you a lot more confidence in the business, as you gain more confidence in the business, does it help you think maybe a little bit earlier, you know, looking ahead towards longer term opportunities such as international, um, as you just get better and better what you've been doing, and op- or, or is it really still, there's so much to do here in the North American market, and in, in the U.S. particularly, that, that that remains your focus? Thanks.
2: Yeah, Omar, thank you, um, that's a, it's a great question, and certainly something we work on all the time, you know, thinking about both the short term, literally the next day, the next quarter, and ten years from now. So, you know, I'd say first and foremost, um, I think there's a lot of uh, things for us to do to continue to drive growth in, in the you know in our core business model, and that's what we're really really focused on. So, you know, we've got a lot of stores to build, a lot of stores to remodel. Um, you know, we're focused on, frankly, what should the experience of the future be like online and in store. And in some ways, you know, we've we've gotten started, but there's a lot more that we can and will do there because we don't. Rest on our laurels, no pun intended. but we, you know we fully would expect that what guests would expect in the future in terms of a retail experience is just going to continue to change. So I'd say a lot of what we're focused on is continuing to do what we do well today and then think about how to invent the future of our core model with confidence. I mean, I do, I do feel that we feel that if we play our offense, which is really deep understanding about our guests, you know really you know treating our associates well with a culture that seems to be working and, you know, positioning Ulta Beauty as, as a really inclusive beauty retailer and everything that goes with that, you know, we think we're on the right path. So at the same token, we're absolutely thinking about what does the longer-term future look like to continue to, you know, drive shareholder returns, and, you know, there's many ways to think about that. So, you know, that hasn't changed. We're not, you know, announcing or doing anything differently today, um, but that's, you know, a, a fair question and one that we work on.
3: Understood. Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Michael Baker, Deutsche Bank. Please proceed with your question.
7: Uh, thank you. Uh, I guess I'll ask this one. Gross margins, uh, you, you went through a number of drivers. I don't remember, and I, I, forgive me if I missed it, did you talk about uh, uh, mixed towards e-commerce as a potential drag? I don't think you did. In the past, you have. And so, is it that that that's no longer going to be a drag because because the margins there are catching up, or it's just offset by other things, or, or too small to matter?
3: Yeah. So no, that's built in there. When we're talking about merchandise margin expansion, 2019 specifically, I mean we're that's nothing's really changed there. The underlying economics of that channel of the business. So again, pressure on the gross margin line, but on the EBIT line, right? Stores in, e-commerce are much, it's a much closer horse race overall. So again, what we saw in the fourth quarter, right, a little bit more moderate e-commerce growth is is good news on the EBIT line, right? So stores still drive a better variable contribution overall. But again, back to the big picture, we have to do both well. We're going to, you know, we'll take whatever margin characteristics come from either and uh, try to drive the best result we can.
7: Okay, understood, and, and, and since I waited this long, I'll, I'll try to slide in a second one. If I could, just on the competitive environment, uh, a couple, at least one of your big suppliers and, and even a competitor talked about slowdowns in the fourth quarter. You clearly didn't see it, so you're taking share. Can, can you just describe the different channels within the competitive environment, department stores, drug stores, online, et cetera?
5: What are you seeing? Um yeah, we're uh yeah, we feel really positive overall and obviously in the fourth quarter we're very Pleased with our results, uh, you know. As we look across the competitive landscape again, we talked about this in the past. But beauty is a very attractive category. We are very respectful of our competitors, and they're all doing some really interesting things. So we watch across all of them, and they're all, whether it's in the mass segment or or prestige or online, competitors uh, are certainly uh, formidable and driving uh, changes. Uh, we we've um, as we look across the marketplace, there have been some shifts in reported metrics around. The category. Uh, fortunately, at Ulta, we feel like our collection of products, the balance assortment that we have across categories and price points, uh, the guest experience that we deliver, uh, was able to uh, kind of navigate our, our business through uh, any any changes in the broader marketplace, and and frankly, be a leader in that. And that's what we're focused on continuing to do, and and uh, play offense as we uh, uh, you know deliver a great experience to our guests going forward. Uh, okay thank you appreciate the caller.
1: Our next question comes from Daniel Hofkin, William Blair and Company. Please proceed with your question.
7: Uh, hi good afternoon. Um just a uh, couple quick questions um quickly on the on the uh the gross margin if we kind of correct for the channel shift exclude that factor um it kind of seemed like the promotional backdrop was fairly steady and maybe your merchandise margin also was pretty steady, again, correcting for the channel channelship. Um, is, that a, is that a reasonable interpretation and uh, kind of your view on that in the near term? And then secondly, if you could just update us on your thoughts on, you know, kind of the the urban store opportunity over time, uh, be great to hear any thoughts you might have on that. Thanks.
1: All
3: right. So, as far as the margin characteristics, I think that's a fair fair way to look at it. I mean we didn't get into much in the detail here, I guess in the QA on margin, but I mean mix always plays a significant you know role in, in what the financial outcomes are. so product mix, you know, fragrance and mass color we pointed out was stronger we're taking share there. you know those are slight rate headwinds for us overall but again, we'll take that any day of the week right with with the sales increases that we saw. And then we just mentioned the, the, the channel shift, so e-com was a little bit more moderate than than what we expected, and actually that's good news in the short term. So we, uh, we get a little bit of a tailwind on that on the EBIT line. Um, you know, merchandise margin part of it, so we pull back on promotion, right? We talked about that. Again, people get a little bit overly focused on that 20% off coupon, but there was an ad back there, the loyalty points. Don't forget we called that out in our remarks, right? That that hurt us a little bit more than we were expecting. But again, that's fantastic news. Great for long-term investors. People are engaging in our credit card and our loyalty program, and they earn more points than we expected, which hurt rate a little bit in the short term, but all those guests are coming back in the next few months, right, to use those points in our stores or online. So uh, we think that's, again, we think that's a fair trade.
2: Yeah, and I'll just jump in, Dan, on the question on urban stores. It kind of depends on how you define urban. There's a lot of different ways to describe it. So, you know, the vast majority of the stores that we have planned to build, I guess you'd consider sort of non-urban, you know, more in our traditional kind of power centers. Um, But we have plenty of urban stores or city stores that that we like and that do well. You know, I'd say the addition of more – flat, I wouldn't call them flagship – more high-profile stores like the Manhattan Upper East Side and Michigan Avenue has also been great in terms of just expanding awareness and presence of, of Ulta Beauty as a retailer. But, you know, the, those kind of things have a different cost scenario in terms of how to run them. And so we're just going to continue to be really selective. And, you know, there's going to be spots where we like the, the footprint, we like the parking, we like the what's around us, and there'll be few and far between, I think, because really our model tends to not be super urban and does fine.
1: Got it. Thanks so very much. Our next question comes from Ike Boracow, Wells Fargo. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hey, congrats, everyone. Um, just a quick question for uh, for Mary or, or Scott. Just I think two, three years ago, you guys targeted 10% of sales for your e-com business. Uh, you're above that now, but it looks like the growth rate is also starting to change. Uh, the quick two questions is, can you give us an update of where you think that penetration uh, ultimately should go over the next couple years? And then more specifically, um, if you are in a, in a situation where the e-com growth rate is decelerating a bit while the store comps are actually uh, accelerating. Mary, to your point earlier in the call, does that change your your, your view of the ultimate margin of the business? Me- meaning, getting more sales out of a higher margin channel
6: for Alta versus the uh, the e commerce channel? I guess those are my my two questions on e com.
2: Right. Well, I would say first of all, the e commerce, the way we guided for this year is consistent with roughly where we're you know we're feeling. We looked at our longer term plans that we're we're off a very big base now. We'll be you know approaching a billion dollars in sales, and so we naturally expected that to to moderate, and so you know, I don't I think the fourth quarter may have been a bit of an anomaly. We'll see you know in terms of that that dynamic. But again, I think our our job is to just stay smart and flexible with the lovers that we have and you know and understand the dynamic that's happening from a consumer behavior perspective. You know there's no way, shape or form that the the importance of e-commerce as a channel is is going to diminish. It's only going to grow. And so we need to you know continue to make sure that we're a great on the channel retailer as well as a great brick and mortar retailer. I think that's kind of the best way to
3: answer it. And then the... Yeah, I don't really think there's anything, you know, my crystal ball out here on the table as far as margin characteristics over the long term. Again, I'm I'm a conservative person by nature. I'd say there's uh, inherent headwind built into that piece of the business, right, regardless of the scale, at least the scale that we're talking about here as a specialty retailer. And so, again, we're working hard every day with tools, with our supply chain roadmap build out of facilities to get closer to customers, maintain maximum flexibility, you know, as things continue to evolve there, and just hoping that we make smart decisions along the way. Thanks.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of the question and answer session, and I would like to turn the call back to Mary Dillon for closing remarks.
2: Great, I'd like to wrap up by thanking our 45,000 associates for delivering an excellent 2018 and teeing up 2019 to be another year of strong top and bottom line growth. I think our team is really well positioned to execute on a host of growth and efficiency initiatives to drive the long-term success of our business and create significant shareholder value. So I look forward to speaking with all of you again soon. Thank you.
1: This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.